You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the An Archaeologist Podcast brought to you by the Archaeology Podcast Network. I'm Tristan Boyle, your host, and today I'm talking to the one, the only, Mark Watson. Now, Mark is uh, the man behind the Hidden Heritage 2016 Conference in Dorchester. I think it's that uh, is the place I got the name right, didn't I? Certainly did. And uh, what we'll be talking about today is what hidden heritage is, what it means, and why why is it important to discuss this. So first things first, thank you very much, Mark, for coming to speak to me today. You're welcome. So let's let's take a few let's take a little journey back. How how were you? How did you get involved with? heritage as a whole the the past i mean did you go was it straight from school did you go and study archaeology or what was your journey like uh, mine started very very late um i had always had an interest in you know the past heritage history etc but um through you know life domestics that didn't occur until about six years ago and the opportunity arose through the support of my wife to go and do what turned out to be the last intake of Hidden Heritage um, degree at Bournemouth University. Um, and so what was that, five five years ago. Um, and it's developed, blossomed from there. I got opportunities to get involved in the Big Dig, um, which is the student dig to Bournemouth Uni at uh, Winterbourne Kingston. Um, got involved with conservation issues. Yeah, I basically stuck my fingers in all sorts of pies um, yeah. to see what I liked. Um, and then from that, I get, was given the opportunity to do the research degree, um, what we call it applied sciences by research. Um, so I specialised in um, the incredibly exciting, engaging subject of wall pastors. So what sort of research were you doing? Well, I was looking at, um, I wanted to try and cross over between heritage, archaeology, and trying to engage the public with um, their heritage. And as you, I'm sure you're aware, and many of the people you listen to, we complain that the public are not engaged with generically history, uh, sorry, heritage. Um, but we write for each other, and then we wonder why the public don't talk to us or don't get involved to a greater extent. Um, so I got involved with, I was lucky, I got an opportunity with North Dorset District Council uh, to get involved doing their buildings at risk register from scratch, which got me involved in all sorts of archaeology, heritage-related items like ice houses, um, 18th century um, barns, you name it, um, which just you know kept the old brain cells ticking over, really. Yeah, and that's the most important thing is sometimes it's very easy to kind of uh, dip out of the game once in a while and suddenly, you know, you, you, you don't know what's going on anymore and things have moved forward. But that's that's absolutely, that's really, really cool. And actually, I mean, that must have fed into you wanting to do more and more. And 
Then you came up with an idea of having a conference. I mean, not everybody jumps out of their bed one day and says, hey, you know what? I want to make a conference. <laughs> like, conferences are huge. I mean, well, what happened there? Well, the thing was, I mean, you, you know as well as I do, conferences, archaeology, heritage, normally are very, very expensive to go to. You've got to really want to go, and hopefully your employer, with the current economic climate as it is, will pay for it. And you've got to book out two or three days, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, well, you know, let's metaphorically put my money where my mouth is. Let's organize, try to organize a conference on generically what is hidden heritage. Um, let's see if we can get stimulate enough interest. Can we do it economically? Unfortunately, the county town of Dorchester, the town council, were very supportive. So I put the idea out there, and you know, the themes are very, very generic. What is hidden heritage? Um, how do we study it? Should we study it? And then the third aim is how do we engage the public? So it's not dumped down, but equally it's not academically high brown. It was suitably general to engage what seems to be um a lot of people yeah and i mean um obviously archaeology online has um a lot of different like um there's a lot of different places where you can go to find archaeology online and i mean what are the kind of people who like okay can i i I need to announce at this point i'm one of the speakers at the hidden heritage conference so i need to make sure that there's no conflict of interest here um but i mean what what kind of people apart from myself (laughs) did you find were submitting abstracts i mean was it from a range of different backgrounds in terms of study or was it people who are more like who was is it people who readily engage the public or people who don't readily engage the public who who was actually answering that call for papers it was it's international um it's denmark holland italy poland obviously scotland england um the breadth of study is vast everything from the lost you know, cider apple varieties of England, right the way through to um, is it acceptable to assimilate Roman buildings into domestic dwellings uh, through to engagement of volunteers and are they overlooked within heritage? So heritage in its purest form Archaeology in its purest form, uh, architecture, dialect, um, folklore, you know, and that was the whole point to really widen out because the English have a very, and I stress the English have a very, very narrow definition of what is heritage. And with a few exceptions, we go buildings, archaeology, and that's all we do. And obviously, as listeners know, archaeology is so much more than that, is so is heritage. So in a way, it's preaching to the converted, but it's trying to engage with the public, making us user-friendly, and then getting those people in the door and getting them to, oh, wow, and trying to get them to engage 
you know, look around you. I mean, there's an adage that um, London Underground advertising people use that the reason why they have the adverts, uh, the position they do in the tube, is because people don't look below their eye line or above it. And that's, you know, and that would be, that's the same when you walk down the street. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're wanting to definitely have members of the public in their droves, hopefully, coming to the conference as yeah, well. Yeah. So, I mean, mm. obviously you're based in uh, Dorchester or near Dorchester, I'm assuming. And um, I mean, you know, what's, what kind of outreach do you do there? I mean, how are you getting people involved? I'm just thinking from the perspective well, of if I wanted to start a conference, what are the kind of things I would want to achieve? What have you been thinking about? Well, I, I, I think you've got to be realistic and you've got to be very, very straight with people. I've told people quite clearly, I've never organized a conference before. I'm, you know, learning as I go, learning on the job, if you want. Um, and I think, you know, the crime, whatever you feel passionate about, the crime is not in failing. You may fall flat on your face, but the crime is in not trying. And I think it's a bit like, you know, that adage, isn't it? You know, you don't like politics, but I don't vote. Well, then you've got no, you're in no position to make a comment. So, you know, I'm trying not to be a hypocrite. I don't like the way things are going. I don't think we engage with the public enough. So what's it, what am I going to do about it? And I think that's the whole point. If you feel strongly enough, crack on, do it. Uh, at least you gave it a go. So if people are interested in finding out about the conference, how are you? Uh, how's the online presence? Uh, there are two or three really good ways. There's the Hidden Heritage Conference 2016 Facebook page. Um, there's also Hidden Heritage at WordPress. Um, there's also Twitter. Um, and obviously if you live locally to Dorchester and Dorset, there's flyers and posters and so on. Um, and obviously there's engagement through quite a few of the speakers. Um, so, but we've had, I think to date, I think we've had nine and 9,400 views on the website, on the WordPress site. So it's, um, seems to be clicking, ticking the right boxes. So, uh, like, obviously, um, Obviously, when we talk about hidden heritage, you know, there's a, there is a lot to uh, explore. But I mean, isn't all heritage hidden until it's discovered? Like, surely everything is already hidden. The past in itself, in the express, like in what we don't know, it's all hidden. Or are are you arguing that well, maybe you know, sometimes pasts are hidden, even though we know about them? I mean, what what kind of view is your position on hidden heritage yourself? Well, I think a good example, my a local example, tangible example, if you if you will, my village of Charminster, mile and a half from Dorchester. Um, as you go into Dorchester, there is a raised walkway, been there for at least two hundred, two hundred and fifty years. There, because the meadows flooded for generations. Um, you know, how do we get people from A to B without getting their feet wet? Big deal, you may say. Well, over a period of time, it's been neglected, covered in brambles, trees, etc., etc. Now, recently, um, we 
myself and the parish council formed the Charminster Heritage Action Group, and the parish councillors cleared all the undergrowth, etc. Now, from that, um, there were numerous messages of support. Fantastic. We never even realized it was there, etc., and all those kind of things. And people who had lived here for generations. Now, you know, the argument was initially when we started this conference, hidden. What are you hidden from who? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean to say it's deliberately hidden. Hidden from view, deliberately hidden, um, overlooked. But I mean, I don't think there's a perfect word that fits all of it. So I think generically we've called it hidden, but it could be overlooked. It could be ignored, phased out, disused. Um, I, I think just a generic term really to say that the message we're trying to get out there is look beyond your peripheral vision and there's so much more of our heritage to be seen and to be supported. And how can the public support it if they don't know it's there? The problem is, though, I'm sure you're well aware, that is that a lot of the time when you go on to, for example, YouTube or you go on to generally the internet, uh, hidden heritage has other connotations. It is about a deliberately hidden heritage. And I wonder how... Um, I mean, how do you how do you feel about people who argue for deliberately hidden heritage? And I mean, from the basic kind of, well, you know, people don't like talking about it to the, well, it's hidden by a, a large, you know, worldwide organization that's trying to control everybody. I mean, what is, you know, like, well, how do you, what do you think of that kind of hidden heritage? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's perhaps it's something to, you know, I, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big enough hypocrite to say that my interpretation is the right view. I'm, I think what I'm really saying is that let's discuss it. What is acceptable? What is a generic term for everything, the sum total of the human past? I suppose somebody asked me on Radio 4 a while ago, no, BBC Radio Dorset, um, they said, they said to me, you know, what is it? I said, well, it's the, it is the sum total of human interaction with the world around us. And I think that's probably more accurate. Yeah, no, I completely get that. And well, I mean, I don't want to give any of my talk away because that would be very, very silly. But um, I, like, I, I feel that like a lot of the time when we talk about hidden heritage, we're talking about an incredibly valuable heritage or that's how it's perceived by the public. And I think that it's quite interesting that, you know, you've chosen hidden heritage as a catch-all, but in some ways it could be uh, to some people a very very specific thing and i think that's quite um that's quite something quite interesting i mean uh, you said you did a hidden heritage degree or like one of the courses i mean what was that about oh, well the the uh, the um heritage conservation degree was, was a bachelor of science um giving you a generic um background in all thing generic, you know. I suppose it's one of those, you know, a little of everything and all of nothing. Um, buildings, ecology, archaeology, uh, marine archaeology. Um, I don't, for a moment, profess to be an expert in any on at all, but an overview, uh, you know, a, a, an understanding 
of all the connot well not a lot of the connotations the, you know and the risks and the problems involved in our heritage um i mean you know equally you could argue when when i say i refrain from using the word conservation scientists because the connotation from that is that i must be involved in ecology um and that simply isn't the case so i think there is as you've said yourself quite succinctly you know how do we define what is heritage how do we define what i've called hidden but you know if we want to be you know split hairs overlooked it can be out of use etc etc so I, i think it's you know hidden from your not just from your day-to-day view um hidden from your i mean look at childhood um playground games uh prime example british film institute um i was watching one from the 1950s um you know british bulldog um 10 or 15 different varieties of skipping games now that's part of our heritage that is hidden um stuff i remember as a kid but if you're in your 20s and 30s you probably wouldn't have a clue with a few exceptions still part of our heritage you know um so again i i mean i'm not saying as i said you know I'm repeating myself i suppose but i'm not saying for a moment that hidden heritage is the right definition what i'm doing is stimulating a discussion as to how do we define and you made the very good point about some points of heritage are very well supported financially and what not because it's very visual um looking at english heritage and the elizabethan house and gardens in the midlands somewhere spent millions i'm not saying that's wrong but i think if we can have community engagement empowerment then we can take more responsibility for what we have as a community be it a village or whatever but if the people don't know it's there or don't know its value how can I support it and it's quite interesting uh, you actually mentioned something that like I, I feel very 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 strongly about is the way in which we divvy up resources I mean you know one could make the argument that by not financially backing one or you know financially putting money into one thing over another we are hiding or obscuring one thing and presenting another you know and you know people do pick and choose history as it were and um, they pick and choose heritage mm. especially heritage that looks impressive because ultimately it provides a kind of oh well that's you know that's the heritage of my like like my place and you know like oh this mm. this and all that and i mean like i find that kind of um that kind of view of heritage very odd because i mean i i was born in germany and i grew up in northern ireland and now i live in scotland i i you know i don't really have a place that i um deeply deeply connect with all the time instead it's my changing that i kind of that that's what i build myself on and i think we have to um understand that things like i i don't like things shouldn't be valued just for their financial value you know there's a value beyond that as well um are you familiar with the american show <laughs> antiquity archaeology it's it, it, it no. is terrible um <laughs> so so at work at lunchtime there's always the tv on and it's always got this it's on dave and uh it's the show basically of people who they go around in america they go around um places and they pick up old stuff and they try and sell it on 
So they pick stuff oh, yes. up and they sell on and, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, this is worth like $225, but I'm going to try and see if I can get 500 for it. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, like there is almost this blatant kind of like it is this blatant capitalist spirit, but it's almost as if these things are worth that much rather than these things uh, are having value applied on them, but they may actually not be worth that value in whole because ultimately you know we decide what the value our heritage has you know people talk about bloody stonehenge it's been in the news recently as well about arguing about where the stones came from but stonehenge is one of those things that is to many people value like it's it's on it's priceless you know it's beyond any monetary value but yet it generates revenues of I don't know how much every year. It's it's uh, completely monopolized with you know entrance fees, with uh, staff, and you know a visitor center and everything. But yet in itself, it is priceless, and that's why people value it so much. So, I, what what do you? I mean, how 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 can we get? How can we start to make people see that things may be valuable out with a monetary value? I mean, how how do we begin to describe that? I, I think we need to, I mean, you've made a really good, strong point. I mean, I partly agree with you. And I think my response is that we need to engage the public on a more local level. We need to get people, you know, it's all very well saying, let's get a group of people together and let's look after that. And why don't you look after this? And whatever it may be. But we have to first. Go back to basics and forget about the value of financial value or whatever and say, right, have you seen what's about, you know, in your community? Have you, you know, have you noticed this, that, and the other? Um, oh, no, I didn't notice that. You know, have you talked to your grandparents about what they used to do as a child? Um, what kind of jobs they had? Um, you know, the classic one around here is the absence of blacksmiths. Now, there are, in itself, a blacksmith, you know, is, does not have, to the community, no longer has a financial value, um, you know, in, in the, you know, purest sense. Yeah, in the strict sense of the word. However, um, there are artisan blacksmiths appearing hither and thither um and you know do, are you aware let's say you know do you know what it takes to become a blacksmith and you know i only recently know how you know how much money is involved in setting up how much you know time is involved in training um but that's been a you know that's been a trade craft for generations you know thatchers um you know, it doesn't have to have a value. Dorset dialect is a prime example. Um, it's almost dead on its feet. Um, it doesn't matter why it's dead on its feet. What are we going to do to save it? And and you know, you may think somebody somebody will listen to it. Well, you know, so what? But you will find that there are people who are passionate about the Dorset dialect. And when you revive those memories, we did a series of um, audio recordings, which is on Facebook, actually, um, from um, a group called Future Roots, 
Um, and they have a gentleman's club, which are essentially ex-farmers or agricultural workers. And there's some phenomenal stories, not just about the dialect, but through the dialect. You were getting um, stories about you know uh, agricultural land work 50 years ago. Um, you know, the recipes, and it, from that it stimulated a discussion about so much more, and it was all heritage-related. And that has no, it has no financial value, but the, the value to your, your, you know, generically, your personal history, your, your heritage is, you know, is priceless. And I mean, just picking up off that and talking about local groups, I mean, I think that as much as um, archaeology, I mean, archaeologists aren't the best paid people in the world. And there's constant arguments about um, pay for archaeologists, about how, um, you know, people go for, you know, one job to the next job to the next job and there's no security. But I think that often overshadows the amount of voluntary work that is done in the archaeological sector and the heritage sector. I mean, you have people who, like, I, I've heard of people doing voluntary work for years before getting paid mm. to do archaeology. And I mean, these are qualified archaeologists, but because they have to get, for example, experience, and um, I mean, that's, that's one side of it, then you've got people who work in local groups and work for free. You know, there's so like archaeology and heritage based on a lot of free work that I don't get think gets enough recognition and that kind of level of uh, ideas is I mean, do you see that as well? Yes, I do. I mean, as you say, I think uh, one of the one of the, the papers of the conference um, is uh, talking about that very point: the fact that we overlook generically not just archaeology, but we overlook the the input from volunteers, and that's separate from the museum quarter, which are very well acknowledged nowadays. Um, but I think it says something about, and I stress to say, you know, I hesitate to say our trade because I'm not an archaeologist, but it's it says something about the priorities that progressive governments have uh, placed, or the lack of priority on archaeology um, and it's all about we're in our headlong rush to embrace the future we're forgetting our past there are hardcore of us obviously including heritage scientists archaeologists who don't but I think the mass of us are so busy trying to dash into the 21st century and beyond we're forgetting about the past, and it's only when it's almost too late that we realise, oh, dash, I should have done something about that. Um, and in many cases, and that could be that could be applied to ecology, that could be applied applied to animals, you know, whatever it may be. Um, we've got to we've got to put not put the brakes on, but we've got to be much more considered about the direction of travel. And, you know, I forget who it was that said, but in order to know your future, you must know your past. But that has to include so much more than just buildings, um, uh, you know, the buildings you see and a famous dig by a large archaeological practice in the middle of the city of London, say. I completely agree with you. I think um, 
what you have like that is completely completely true and i think that we we just have to raise the profile um of many things in archaeology because i feel like there's there's almost like what we talk about as um people who are interested in the past and archaeology and then there's also the kind of what society talks about you know there there is this distinction between the two that really i mean as much as we talk about it i mean how do we actually migrate what we talk about into the wider public in a way that's not like forced you know <laughs> not like we're we're really you know like we're i don't know how to put it but um you know like how do we translate what we say into that? Well, it, I mean, it's exactly. I mean, I think probably the accurate word is how do we do it without strong arming the public? Um, yeah. Go well, on, yeah. I mean, uh, like, uh, the thing is, this is where I find, um, you know, those kind of shows, we all know what I'm talking about. There are shows mm. there and there's media out there that does grab people's attention. And it's about um, <clears throat> alternative histories, alternative histories with um, very interesting theories. But the thing is, they manage to grab people's attention while we are looked at as if we're going crazy. And I want to know, how well, do certain people get people's attention and we don't? Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I, yeah, we're, I, I don't know if you agree, and I don't know whether the listeners would agree, but we seem to be an instant gratification society. Everything has to be now, now, now. Um, and I think you know, those programs give the impression that archaeological digs can be completed within the week. Now, you know as well as I do, that's, you know, that's a crock of bahoony. It takes months, if not years, assuming you've got the finance, etc., etc. But one advantage that it does have, it does raise the profile and that's a good thing but at the same time on the negative side it gives the impression everything can be done quickly um and then of course you have you know volunteers well-meaning rush out and go yeah let's do this and with the you know tightness of budgets they're almost encouraged i think was it lincolnshire or leicestershire were saying they got rid of the archaeology officer and if you want archaeology go and dig it up yourself um, I think that was the yeah I think that was the leader of the council or something. I mean I know that's an extreme uh, you know extreme one, but I mean you know we I, I think we need to be careful. I mean, the publicity I suppose they say any publicity is good publicity, but people need to be aware and I'm not sure what the answer is as to the practicalities or the impracticalities of archaeology, of heritage, etc. It doesn't all happen behind the scenes. And I think there's almost this um, um, perception that, you know, people don't, because people don't have to think about it. They don't realize the financial implications of doing something. Um, and I've heard a few arguments about, my God, that was incredibly expensive to do a dig somewhere. But as we all know, when it gets down to it, the amount of money that an average excavator, you know, new career archaeologist is getting is less than lots of people that go do a nine to five in an office in the warm and dry. So I think, I mean, you know, you and I have raised various issues. I mean, there is a lack of awareness. There's too much priority on certain projects. 
I mean, that's a personal view, but, um, well, right, that's fine. Um, I think we need, we, but what do we do about it? Well, I think we have to find ways to engaging the public, like you said, without strong arming them or making them feel they're obliged. How do we stimulate interest? Well, it has to be interaction. It has to be not just the, the necessary things like, you know, Neolithic flint mapping. It's very vital. It's, it's, you know, it all adds to the story. But some people may be interested in, I don't know, keeping it in Dorset, you know, the impact of cannonballs on Corfe Castle, um, the ecology of plant life you know, that uh, deteriorates the walls. Um, and it's, uh, well, again, Penny Foreman is doing a paper um, on the uh, demise of the apple crops in England. Now, I didn't know till recently, and that's part of our heritage, there's 147 varieties of which we use three um, because the big supermarkets say so. And it, it is entirely relevant to heritage because we, it brings it into archaeology because it brings it back to the trades, um, the trades used, the folklore, and all the rest that go with it, you know, and that uh, ec ecological heritage is dying a death. Uh, it's something that we could do something about. But that that subject, for instance, has stimulated a lot of interest from people because it's so different from the norm. So I think we have to be more imaginative about how we engage the public. Um more lateral thinking. I think that's yeah. what I'm saying. And uh, obviously you um have still got your finger in many pies what do you yeah yeah let's face it um you've got projects coming out of your ears i'm sure as any good uh archaeologist or heritage person does and i'm just wondering what ha, what sort of projects do you do in your immediate area you know i know you're focused you, you've mentioned about focusing on more on the local uh so what can what have you done uh, well, as I say, we're, I'm advising on this raised walkway um, about um, you know the just uh, you know giving it a more managed way of approaching um, without going into great details. There's an awful lot of sediment soil that needs to be taken away, reduced down the levels to the original level of the walkway before we repoint it. Get rid of a lot of concrete. Um, there's an awful lot of slippage damage. So I'm advising, consulting, whatever you want. I mean, I don't get paid for it. I just do it because I want to be engaged. Um, uh, they're applying for money from the Heritage Lottery Fund. Um, it, it's a, probably a two-year project in all. Obviously, the conference. Um, and I've done a little bit of work advising um, in Wales and in Oxford on my speciality so what's in plaster you know the best fit for a conservation uh sympathetic conservation and uh how have you been getting local people involved in uh any of the projects that you do i mean how, how do you feel like how do you get the message out there i mean are you sticking um posters to like shop walls or you know what, what, how do you get the information out no uh, social media and word of mouth and linkedin LinkedIn is one of those things uh, that uh, a lot of people kind of are like, oh, I, th I think I've got a LinkedIn page. 
I mean, it isn't, it isn't, uh, I mean, have you found a lot of response from LinkedIn? Um, yeah, um, it, it's, um, uh, it, the LinkedIn has worked very well. Um, I mean, you, you know what it's like with your contact base. You start with um, small, you know, contacts, um, and, you know, those contacts recommend you for something else, and then, then you have a conversation about, you know, another subject. Oh, you vaguely know what's going on there. Um, so it's just been building the contact base. Um, so, you know, just, yeah, social media in the main. That's no, no, and I mean that's what what we use over the Archaeology Podcast Network as well. I mean, like we're we're all about that social media. Um, I, I mean, finally, I want to kind of wrap up on um, what people can expect from what kind of stuff uh, the sort of stuff you're doing over the next couple of months. I mean, obviously, building up to the conference, there's a lot going on there. I mean, um, if people uh, if people want to help out with any of the stuff that you do, how can they get best get in contact with you, and what is what are you? Best way, best way really is the Facebook page in Heritage Conference 2016. Um, you know, message me, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and we welcome, you know, we, we we welcome a few more posters. We've got a, we've got a full speakers list. We can't fit any more in. Um, I think we've got 17 speakers. Um, so from David Connolly at uh, Badger right the way through to uh, Southampton University, Bournemouth Uni. Um, the, uh, we really just want to get the, I mean, the way I'm doing it is really putting up vague information, pictures of anything heritage related. Um, I think yesterday I put up one about one of the old uh, Scottish uh, steam powered tugs, which, um, you know, big deal. Well, for those in, maritime archaeology it's it's very interesting and also i think that particular one rescued seven thousand men from dunkirk you know during the evacuation um during the second world war so anything heritage related what we would welcome is photographs of anything heritage related but outside the norm so not just buildings um but you know group you know historic graffiti um trades crafts folklore whatever it is you know that's just widen widen the horizon of what is heritage fantastic fantastic well thank you very very much for speaking to me today and no uh, best of luck with the conference and with the other projects this has been a presentation of the archaeology podcast network visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.